So like before Dave Ramsey, I was money avoidant, right? So like stick your head in the sand, not even look at it. And then during Dave Ramsey, I just like switched to the complete opposite side and was like very like hyper vigilant about every dollar we were spending and where was it going. And it's kind of like I found this place in the middle where I'm not avoiding it, but I'm also not obsessing over it. Like it or not, you, me, and everyone else, we all have a relationship with money. And for the most part, it's a complicated one. My name's Sean Maslick. Welcome to the Most Hated F-Word Podcast. As a certified financial planner, I want to take you on a journey as we throw out the technical finance books and shift our focus towards our minds, our money, and what matters most. If you're looking to improve your relationship with money and build true wealth, you're in the right spot. Finances does not need to be the most hated F-word. Hello, and welcome back to the Most Hated F-Word podcast. I am your host, Sean Maslick, and I am delighted you are here for another fascinating conversation. This week, we are speaking to Jillian Knight. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist specializing in financial therapy for professional women and moms. After spending 10 years in the mental health field, Jillian realized that her passion really lays in helping women understand and navigate their relationships with money. In this episode, we talk about many things, including challenging the shame-based financial programs that really use shame as a motivating factor. We talk about how Jillian's experience in the Dave Ramsey program had unintended consequences that really harmed her relationship and her mental well-being. Jillian talks about how she learned to embrace a balanced approach, learning how that, yes, she wants to focus on paying down her debt, that's why she entered the Dave Ramsey program, but not obsessing over it. Jillian stepped away from this all-or-nothing mentality to adopt a healthier approach to debt and money management that allowed her to still enjoy her day-to-day living. As we explored these financial programs, we start to speak about the unequal power distribution that often lies in the financial systems that were designed and run predominantly by males. Jillian helps us to understand the barriers women face in various aspects of their financial lives, from pay disparities to fair treatment, to operating in financial programs like she found herself in the Dave Ramsey one. And we end the conversation with Jillian talking about collaboration for change. She invites men to use their power and influence in the financial world to partner with females, promoting diversity and equality in the financial world, helping pave the way for progress and change. And as I mentioned, it's important to acknowledge that yes, many people have successfully paid off significant amount of debt in these programs, and many people would say that it was a successful program. And I acknowledge that debt is crippling and has negative impacts on individuals. Jillian's story, however, is one that deserves to be heard. The truth is many of these financial programs and other financial programs are designed by individuals who have a lot of power, who often overlook the diversity of backgrounds, cultures, and life circumstances that individuals face. Their one-size-fits-all perspective and rigid approach does not cater to everyone's needs and can cause impacts that are harmful. Before we get into the show, if you are interested 
at getting your own money story song. Yes, your own song that is custom created based on your money story. Please head over to financialanthem.com and you'll see all the information on how you can get your own song about your money story. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Jillian Knight as she shares her story on the importance of recognizing individual experiences and perspectives in the financial world. Jillian, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Chef. Yes, thank you for joining me. Today, we're going to have some important conversations. Some of the things that we're going to talk about, I think, have been on people's minds for a long time, very long time. And at times, we don't take the time to have these important conversations. So don't know where the whole conversation will go, but we're going to be talking <laughs> about money, power, the female's lens on the lack of at times where this control comes from and a whole bunch of other things. So I thought we would start with a bit of your background, Jillian. Many of us have tried or participated in financial programs that have either worked or not worked, but often we feel this level of discomfort inside of ourselves. And that comes from maybe not knowing what we're doing, what we're supposed to be doing, what is the right way, so many different other things that might create that discomfort. I understand that you had an experience in an unhealthy program that really started to provide more harm than good in your, in your story. Perhaps can you share what this program was and underneath the advice, what was happening that really created this, as you call it, harm? Yeah, I'm happy to. I came from a lower middle class background. I didn't learn much about money growing up, ended up going to college out of state and then out of state for grad school and took on all the student loans they would give me, <laughs> um, not knowing really. I mean, I knew, yes, that I was signing up for them. But when you're at that age, you just, you know, sign the papers to get to go to the school you want to go to. And uh, met my husband in college. Several years later, we got married. Money was the biggest thing that we had a hard time talking about. So when we got married, being the marriage and family therapist that I am, I was like, we have to talk about this. So we have to get on some kind of, we need some kind of plan. So I live in the South. I'm in North Carolina in the US. And one of the loudest voices then and probably still now is Dave Ramsey and his Financial Peace University kind of total money makeover plan because we needed something. My husband and I combined had $364,000 in student loan debt. We were making 95 combined. And so we were just totally overwhelmed, hopeless. Like, yeah, there was not a lot of hope there. Um, uh, we felt so bad. Like we just felt so ashamed. Like how do we let it get, let it get to this point? And because we had just been paying the minimums for years. And so interest was like building and building and we didn't even know it. So we knew a little bit about Dave Ramsey, not a whole lot, but it was like really the only thing that we had. We already had a book, I think someone gave us. So I read the whole book and I told my husband, like, we need to do this. And he was on board. So we just jumped in. Like, so we started to follow the plan. 
which is like these seven baby steps, which we still haven't gotten past the second one, um, if you were counting. So like the first one is like a $1,000 emergency fund. Second one is pay off all of your debt except for your house. And it goes on from there. So we got on a super strict budget, like cut out going out to eat. We cut out getting together with friends, doing really anything other than working, trying to do extra work when possible and trying to pay down our student loans. Eventually, my husband did get a higher paying job in his field that allowed us to start putting like bigger chunks towards it because we weren't even keeping up with the interest for like several years. So yeah, it was like we did that, paying down the debt, being focused on debt and just how much are we bringing in, how much are we putting towards debt for a good three years. And then started to realize it didn't feel very good because like there's like a whole narrative of like you're going to suffer for this period of time and like you have to like be disciplined and make make sacrifices. And so I just kind of like prided myself on being super disciplined and making lots of sacrifices. And I even started like shaming other people who had debt or weren't trying to get out of debt or who were, you know, had a big car payment, things like that. And so it just became like very negative and like kind of toxic. It started to, I know it affected my mental health and and I know that it affected, you know, some relationships we had. My husband and I like weren't going out and doing anything fun. So like that's no way to start a marriage. <laughs> we had friends from college in the area that we like, we would tell them like we can't go out because it's not in the budget. And it just became like kind of depressing for for those three years before we realized that like there could be another way to do this. Thank you for sharing that story, Jillian. There's so many insightful, I would say, things that you mentioned there. I want to go to the ashamed. You said that we were ashamed to have this amount of debt. And then you started talking about how as you're in this program and really trying to be frugal, despite it was probably very difficult, you then started, and these are your words, shaming other people, judging them if they have a car payment. As a therapist, what, what's happening in our minds right now? If, if we're in this program and we're, are we suppressing a bit of our own shame and then outwardly displaying the shame to others? Can you just talk about how programs like this that are built upon shame, really shame as motivator factor, why do we outwardly start to judge others and shame others? I think it gets into our thinking in terms of you see it with, and I'm going to use the word, this mm -hmm. like cultish mentality, right? Mm -hmm. Where you start to believe that there's like only one way to do things. And you almost like become convinced that like, this is like the best thing and everyone should do it. And if you're not doing it, you're stupid. And I mean, I also come from in terms of like theoretically in terms of therapy, my own therapy and then the model that I plan to get trained in hopefully soon is the internal family systems. So like where we have there, you have a self, but then you have all these parts that of yourself that you take on over time. And it's almost like I developed, like it's like my shame part that I already had, right? From having these student loans and just from my like lack of knowledge around money and just this belief that like, I'll never be good at money, that that I'm not capable, things like that, that just kind of intensified that part in me. Like I was kind of 
interacting with other people from that part instead Mm. of like from a place of self. And so that part was very, yes, very shaming of other people. And probably because I, I was trying to protect myself in some way. We don't, we don't have to get too far into my own therapy (laughs) today. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's so interesting that you talk about parting from the self. And it makes me think of Dave Ramsey's programs. I was looking before, I mean, the millions and millions of books he's sold. There's many other gurus that offer very restrictive and they're very convinced in their process. The rigidity is in their, <laughs> in their code. And you make such an interesting point is when you said, I started parting from myself. I'm going to send it back over to you. But whether it's this simplified latte factor, Dave Ramsey's condemning all forms of debt or other financial guru methods, there's this message that it sends that if you're struggling financially, it's kind of your fault. If you just follow these things, you can pull up your bootstraps and you can fix this. But I guess the question is, does this really lead to financial health? Maybe it pays down our debt, but if it takes us away from ourselves, perhaps you can speak to the hidden consequences of using shame-based motivation as a means to get people to do financially, I'm air quoting, responsible things. Yeah. So, I mean, I can share in my own experience and then from talking to other people who I would also call kind of recovering Dave Ramsey followers. Yeah, it's motivating in the short term, which is kind of interesting because, you know, whenever I talk to people about the number of issues that I have with Dave Ramsey and his plan, I sometimes get people saying like, oh, well, he's helped a lot of people pay off a lot of debt. And that's true. I can't disagree with that. I'm one of those people. I mean, I I haven't paid off all my debt, but I got on a plan and and made a big difference in my debt. And also, I felt like crap the whole time that I was doing it. And it only worsened like my sort of emotional, psychological relationship with money, where I started to kind of just, you know, focus my whole life on once we're out of debt, then I can be happy. Once we're out of debt, then we can like move on with our lives and do all of these things. And yeah, it really, really affects your mindset. And so I struggle because I I agree that it has helped people. And also it's had so many like consequences and, and there's just, there's so much there. Mm-hmm. It sounds like there's a lot there. We had a pre-call where we were chatting about conversations and this came up and it didn't take much Googling to see that many people share this same, I guess it's maybe it's a form of ambivalence where they're like, yeah, it has helped. But on the other hand, relationships of mine have deteriorated. My self-worth is deteriorated. I feel intensely emotional about money. I want to ask a question about power. We know that money is a form of power. People often seek money as, as a form of power to control. If we just observe some of these financial gurus like Dave Ramsey, there is a level of perceived power and control that someone like Dave Ramsey has as he's explaining and really convincingly talking about these strategies. I was watching a few 
episodes and the conviction is is intense as he's telling these people who really believe uh, this one was these people were just saying that we accumulated this much debt through school much like your story and it was not meeting people where they're at it was just straight hard words that i think well i don't think i really feel like it would induce that shame so how did you perceive this this individual dave ramsey with power and control as he talked about these strategies before or since following since getting Let's away go from following <laughs> before and then after? Yeah. I mean, while we were following him, because I I listened to my share of those radio show episodes, maybe one or more a day. It was a lot. I sort of kind of saw it as, you know, I didn't know much about money. And this older white man who could be my uncle is giving me all the secrets and telling me, what I need to be doing in order to be better with money. It was like, it was giving me the answers that I was looking for. And yeah, it was, he was so like certain about it. Very convincing. And like, I think especially like his debt-free screams that he does where people are like, go on and they've like, tell their story about how much debt they've paid off. And sometimes it's like a lot of debt and what seems like maybe a short amount of time or like pretty short. And then they scream, I'm debt free. And it's like this whole like celebration and emotional thing. And it's like, it's like through some of those stories that you like kind of see yourself and you kind of, I'm going to be there one day. And mm. it's kind of this like aspirational thing. You're making me think of one time, <laughs> uh, my wife and I, we were at a timeshare because I, I found out you could get an inexpensive accommodation. You're sitting in this room and they're like, same tactics, like using kids, it's like, oh, you got to provide such good holidays for them. But every time someone signed up, they would scream and clap and welcome to the club. Mm-hmm. So anyways, you, you reminded me of that. <laughs> I'm pretty progressive person, if you can't tell. And I would hear things that he would say. You'd also never really hear him talk to anyone that was like, he never had anybody on his Maybe maybe a handful of mentions of the LGBTQ community, but not not much. And I would hear him say things that were like very, I mean, he's also like keeping in mind he's an evangelical Christian. So that's just like a big part of, of his deal. But he would say things that were like really heteronormative in terms of like the role of men and women and in relationships and uh, things that just kind of, it's like, I don't really agree with that, but I'm going to take this financial advice and leave the rest. And I could kind of justify that in my mind for, for a while, but then kind of once we got to 2020 and I saw some things in terms of his response to like the Black Lives Matter movement and just racism, systemic racism being a thing, I just like, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. Like I have this, like this part that gets like really worked up about it. Cause I just don't want other people to feel like this is the only way to get out of debt or to get into a better financial situation is like to just suffer through it and feel bad about yourself. That's actually not the best way to do it, that there is another way. And so 
I just don't want people to have to experience what I experienced. And I'm sure that that also, I might be getting ahead of myself, but I'm sure that's also part of the reason why I got into financial therapy to begin with and started my practice. But yeah, I just, I can't even watch his videos anymore. Like I actually find them to be a little triggering. You bring up such an interesting point is that while you're in this program, paying down debt, it feels good because obviously that's something that you you wanted to do. That's why you entered the program. But yet there's this narrative, there's this constant pushing against, it sounds like your own personal values that I think you did such a courageous thing is that at times money makes us do things that go against our values. I hear in your story that you recognize your values and you're out of the program now. And it just really reminds me of how anybody who gives financial advice needs to recognize that people receive the information we give in so many different ways based on their background, their minority or marginalized group. And when we forget that, or maybe even don't take the time to consider it, it can be quite damaging. And I have to think that your work as a financial therapist with women now is going to be much more filled with compassion and empathy, things that we really are longing for when it comes to our relationships with money. Yes. I mean, my my approach to therapy has always been pretty compassionate and empathetic, but I had always kept those things separate, therapy and money. And I, I think a part of it was like, I didn't know you could be, I didn't know that financial people could be empathetic and compassionate. That was part of my bias at the time. But I also don't think that there's like a lot of therapists get trained and in, in how to be, well, to some degree, you kind of have, have to have a little empathy to go into the field of therapy. But therapists, we, we are trained in understanding our own, continuing to try to understand our own biases, knowing our own, like understanding our own stuff, what we might be putting on to clients, what experiences, what systems they're involved in that are contributing to what they're experiencing and even just how to like validate and reflect and empathize mm. um, when I don't know that I think it's getting better, but I, I know that that's not like traditionally any kind of training that like financial planners or others get. So, Because I mean, when we feel validated, it just feels good. I, I assume there wasn't too much validation happening in your total money makeover program. <laughs> No, like even if they had validated, like this is, this is really hard. I'm mm-hmm. sure that you feel like it's normal to feel like shame, to feel bad about. Like there's none of that. There's no, there's no validation. There wasn't when I went through it anyway. And I don't think I shared this part, but I actually like briefly participated in like teaching it too. So I was not only receiving it and telling people about it. But I like participated in a church that was teaching it, which I also feel ashamed of. So I could hear the hesitation in your voice. And, you know, I thank you for sharing. I think there's many, many people who will listen and have their own version of that story. And it just speaks to how powerful money is in our lives or, or it is very powerful, we know, but we attach so much power to money that we tend to deviate from those values. And I think it's so great that you, it sounds like, come to recognize those values and made actionable steps to start aligning your values, or sorry, your actions with your values. 
I want to ask a question from the female lens. I am a male, so I do not share the same lens. But as we reflect back on the financial world, we can see it's largely dominated by males, white males. And as we look at the socialization of females, they're often socialized to be caregivers, take care of the home, the children, etc. They have these tasks that many males we don't understand or recognize, but yet more and more females are expected to get in the workforce, bring home a wage, and participate financially, like bringing home money in the, in the home. How are these invisible tasks impacting females as they navigate the financial landscape? Yeah, that's a great question. So yes, for a long time, the financial world has been very male, very white, very cisgender. Still kind of is to some degree, which I know you don't take offense to. But it it is interesting. And I know you and I had talked about this a little bit before in terms of the shift from like the 1950s, we'll call it. Um, mentality of like, obviously a woman and a man who are married and have children and the man works outside the home and the woman stays home and takes care of the children. And and then there is a shift to women working and yet women are still doing more of the caregiving overall than men, even when they are both working outside the home. So even, so like the whole there's like this whole like mental load in addition to any kind of just, you know, pure like physical taking care of children after, you know, in the morning and after after work. It's the list of things that that we as women and mothers constantly have on our minds between, you know, doctor's appointments and registering for summer camp and what special day is it at school this week or this month and, you know, you know, what do we need to buy for the dog? And and just like this nonstop running list of things that it is invisible because we're just carrying it around with us, but it weighs on us and it is exhausting. And I can't speak for all women, um, but we just want to share the load and we just want it to be fair. So, you know, there's still, I think in terms of navigating the financial landscape because it is it is still very white male and cisgender it can be challenging as a woman to seek out financial advice you know without feeling like you know being sold to like we don't want to be sold to we want to be part of the conversation we w- we want to be treated equally in our relationships by financial professionals and and we we want a recognition of of the ways in which like the system wasn't built for us to be successful financially. I think the pandemic really demonstrated that pretty well, where more women were trying to balance the caregiving with working than men were, not to say that men weren't, because I know they were, but more women were leaving the workforce and and staying home, not necessarily by choice, but what felt like out of necessity. And you didn't see men doing it to that degree. And so there's just, there's a lot of factors, I think, that, you know, women are making progress, but it's still pretty slow. I think also just like the cost of childcare and women's wages being different, the gender pay gap, 
which is even more so for women of color and women being socialized to, I'm, I could go on, <laughs> women being socialized to not ask for too much, to stay small and not negotiate salaries or just be kind of grateful for what we have. And there's at least a, a good portion of women I know who are just like trying to take up more space. And it would be great if men could support that as well. I think it's our responsibility as men to be able to recognize that and then support it and not not avoid it. Because, you know, the, we can see the impacts of these systems that are outdated. And especially when we start to see diversity coming into leadership roles or getting a voice that these voices are really, really needed and quite welcomed. And we can see many examples of a late where we say it's a female leader or a person of color who may not have been there 10 years ago. They're making big differences. But to your point, it's, it's not enough. There is this paper that we kind of chatted about before by uh, Current from 2003. And they have this phrase called the superwoman strategy. This is in alignment with, with what we're talking about, where females are socialized to take care of the home and now work and bring in home a paycheck. But she dis, or they described the superwoman strategy as the expectations that a woman brings home the bacon, fries it in a pan, and never, ever lets the husband forget that he is a man. As I read that, I just cringed and thought, wow, that's, that's terrible. But wow, is there truth to that? <laughs> Unfortunately, I chuckle in the sense of like, it just, it's sad that there's truth to that. So my question is, you were in this system built by this, this barrier that had you in debt and then feeling shame as a sense trying to motivate you to pay off debt. I imagine it was difficult to get out how did you start to cultivate the inner confidence to take a step out from that, that system that you found yourself in? And I ask this because I'm sure there's other people listening who might be in that same system. And maybe can you speak to where that confidence came from? So there's a community on Instagram. It's called the Debt-Free Community. And I had an Instagram on there at one point. I'm less active on it now. But it was a group of accounts that were dedicated to people's like debt-free journeys, as they call them in the Dave Ramsey world. Well, it started out as a bunch of people, I think, that followed Dave Ramsey. And then over time, we, <laughs> we all kind of, not all, I'm sure there are still people on there that are following him. A lot of us with some shared values moved away from, started to move away from it. And we would post things like where, like how much debt we paid off or so far, or like our grocery bill for the week or just things that were finance related. And so there was this sense of like community there, which was helpful. It's interesting because it, it also kind of like perpetuated this being part of this group and like posting about it and, and maintaining it. But then like maintaining, like staying in, in the financial piece and all of that. But then as other people started to kind of branch out and question the advice, it kind of gave us permission to do that too. And so to see other accounts kind of like 
actually, you need a lot more on an emergency fund. And you should definitely be investing up to the match in retirement, regardless of whether you've paid off any student loans or have other debt. And there are plenty of other examples of this. So it it started to show us, me in particular, because I was the one managing our account, like there are people doing it in other ways and they're doing it well and they don't feel so bad about themselves. And it seems like they, they feel better about this. So when I realized I just couldn't listen to him anymore, you know, I started to talk with my husband and I started to talk about like, okay, what is going to work for us? Because you can look outside of yourself for all of this information. But like once you have a general understanding of like personal finances, you can just decide what's going to work for you. Like it wasn't going to work for us to have $2,000 in emergency fund. Like we needed three months of expenses to feel less anxious about money. And I think that's totally appropriate. We wanted to start traveling again. So we, you know, decided we're going to spend X amount on traveling. So like we added things to like start enjoying life. And while we were still putting decent amounts of money towards student loans, so that kind of showed us like we can pay off our student loans and also like live our lives. Because I even had like a whiteboard in our kitchen that for many years had this is how much we started with and this is how much we have left in student loans. And it was like a daily reminder of that. And I like took the whiteboard out of the kitchen because it made me feel bad. Mm -hmm. So it was just like a number of small things, but I think also that community and being able to see other people doing it, like let us know that that was possible, that it was okay, (laughs) that nothing bad would happen if we didn't follow the steps. Like we had been doing it long enough to like start trusting ourselves, I think. Your story makes me think of a a professor I had. And she said, when you see me, I can see myself. And these other communities, in a way, it sounds like it, it helped show you that there's another way, which allowed you guys to see that there's another way for yourselves. And Because I can imagine with that whiteboard in the kitchen and all the different narrative on the radio shows that you only thought felt more shame if you thought of leaving the program. What was it like during this whole time with your husband and navigating? Because I mean, navigating this on our own is difficult enough, like navigating our uh, money relationships, but you had someone else in there and this just, it gets quite complex. And then you put a (laughs) program in that's built upon motivating through shame. Yeah, that's a great question. So it's actually interesting because I was also thinking about the fact that it's, there's like this idea that these other people are doing this too, right? So it reinforces what you're doing, but also it's kind of isolating in a lot of ways where like my husband and I, we got on the same page, but we were, it was almost like it became part of our relationship to be following this plan. And so like if either one of us started to think, well, Maybe maybe we don't need to be as aggressive paying down our debt or you know maybe we could start to save for a house while we're paying down debt. Then the other one would be like no, we need to follow the steps and we need to do it at, like it became not super healthy in that way where we were on the same page which was great and we were working towards like goals 
but we were also kind of policing each other into like continuing to follow the program. So, and I hadn't really thought about that until just now. So thank you for that question. But, but I think that we both started to see the effects of it on kind of our mental health and our relationships. And once we like, and like kind of really recognizing like we were making a good amount of money now and that we don't have to live in the same way that we were living when we started in order to, in order to like achieve our financial goals. Yeah. Because it, we kept each other in line is what I would say. Mm -hmm. That's, that's Mm -hmm. kind of how it happened in our relationship. And now that you're out of this, this system you found yourself in, what does it feel like during this conversation, you used several different ways of saying that you weren't able to enjoy yourself. You weren't able to go for dinner or you didn't go for dinner because you guys said it wasn't in the budget. So you use a lot of terms of this scarcity or restriction. Now that you're not out of debt, you still have this debt, but it sounds like you're living more, going out for dinner more, maybe, maybe just speak to of course, like maybe the the visual things that are different, but more so inside. What what's different inside? I don't feel as bad about having the debt. Like I used to feel really bad and like like I was yeah was a bad person or something. So still having student loans, like like a lot of people have student loans, and we're working with them. Where we still have a plan to pay them off because that's just something that's important to us to be kind of done with them after all this time, but it feels more balanced where I'm not so focused on it all the time. It doesn't take up as much space in my mind and my life. So like before Dave Ramsey, I was money avoidant, right? So like stick your head in the sand, not even look at it. And then during Dave Ramsey, I just like switched to the complete opposite side and was like, you know, very like hyper vigilant about every dollar we were spending and where was it going. And, and so it's kind of like I found this place in, in the middle where I don't have to, I'm not avoiding it, but I'm also not obsessing over it. I think it's an ongoing thing. I'm not going to say that I have perfected my relationship with money because I don't think anyone ever does, but it's gotten better and I'm more aware of it when it does start to kind of creep up the just kind of like the old feelings of or thoughts around like, should you be buying clothes? Should you be doing this? And our, our spending is, it's in alignment with our values. So I don't feel bad for going out to a nice dinner at a place that my husband and I really like to eat because like it's an experience and that's what we value is, well, food. And time together, sometimes especially away from our toddler. (laughs) And then like our other big thing is like traveling. So we're, you know, once a year, like we want to be able to go somewhere really cool and we don't want to have to wait until we're retired or much older to do that. So you never know what's going to happen in your life. So it's very true. It really sounds like it's finding that balance, not one or the other. It could be both. Yeah. In terms of having the debt, but focusing on it. You don't have to do one or the other. You can do both. We've been talking about these systems that have been male dominant in terms of how they've been created. But we also talked about how women are starting to more and more 
use their voice. And as you said, men, you're, you're inviting them to participate and partner and help give a voice. When you look in the financial realm, could be in a household or the greater society, what strengths do, do you see that women have that really can benefit these financial systems that we all participate in currently? I, I believe there's some research on women and investing that women are actually usually better investors than men. I, I've seen that research. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you've seen this in the in your life experience. We just don't acknowledge it or accept it or say it. Oh, okay. The man, yeah, yeah. It's just like, no, that's not true. Right. The sample size was too small, Jillian. It, it's... <laughs> It sounds like a little bit of defensiveness that I'm yeah. getting right now from, <laughs> from the male perspective. I know, I know. <laughs> um, so, no, I think that women are just as capable and smart when it comes to money as men if we give them the, you know, opportunity. And I, I mean, I've seen this in my own life. I think also sometimes we just have strengths that, that you don't have. It's very true. I've had Dr. Michael Thomas a couple times on the podcast, and he's big on financial empathy and self-compassion. He's got a t-shirt that says, self-compassion is a vibe. And my experience in having conversations with females within the money context and beyond is really this level of empathy and self-compassion. And I strongly feel is if we can feel that from others, we really can open ourselves up and really find out why we're probably be, or why we're being defensive or deflecting certain things around money and to get to the deeper the deeper parts of us that have something to say that we just kind of have been avoiding and hiding behind money which is crazy that we do it but it, it's true right well and hiding behind like the facts and the math as opposed to like presenting the plan and <laughs> Like not really going but beyond that, right? So I've met with some some different women financial planners and I can see the value in women financial planners, obviously, because I'm a woman, but just the level of empathy, the level of what's the opposite of trying to sell someone on something? I think listening. Yeah, <laughs> there's a level of really listening, mm-hmm. not like listening to understand, not listening to respond. Mm-hmm. And like really like genuine, like trying to connect with you because that's what, you know, we're taught to be the managers of relationships, that we maintain the relationships and the better relationship you have with your clients, the better the outcomes are going to be, right? So mm-hmm. I think women have a lot of, I'm not even going to call them, don't even start it on soft skills, but we've just been, encouraged to have the caretaking skills around the empathy, the listening, Mm -hmm. the relationship building, communication, kind of all of it. So I think that that women have a lot to to offer in the financial realm. I agree. And I feel like we have a lot to learn from women. When you say the soft skills, I feel like they're the hardest soft skills that ever existed. (laughs) Soft can also be synonymous with like weakness, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think like hard is like tough. So yeah. yeah, language. Language. And it's it's easy to go with the tough way, really, because the human skills 
it takes a lot of practice. And but those are the ones that I think, and you see this in our industry, which is good, is that we're starting to move towards a more humanistic approach. Still a long ways to go. But that brings me to wonderful practices like yours who are focusing on financial therapy. So before we go into the end here and hear about your your financial therapy practice, do you have any closing statements on anything that we've talked about that you feel like you need to say to kind of wrap things up? I'm sure that my experience of kind of being a therapist and then following Dave Ramsey for many years and then realizing there's another way, connecting it back to therapy, doing some of my own money work, continuing to do it is is definitely like led me to this mission <laughs> and this purpose of like trying to be what I wish I would have had instead of Dave Ramsey, like trying to create in addition to direct therapy practice, like finding ways to reach different groups of people from marginalized groups and other backgrounds would really benefit from more of a shame-free approach. And I also don't know that I touched enough on just, you know, I'm obviously coming from like a white female, white woman perspective. And so I just want to own that and that not, you know, my experience is not necessarily going to be, is not the experience of like women of color or women from other groups or, you know, non-binary and gender non-conforming people. So yeah. So anyway, that was a long answer too. Yeah. I just, I, I hope to inject some more compassion and empathy into the financial field. Well, thank you for that answer. And I think it's really, I'm hearing by telling your story, you're hoping to give a voice to all those other individuals that you, you mentioned that aren't your lens, but they all have their own story. And instead of just sticking to the main stream story, I think when you share yours, it really helps other people get that voice and see that there's this other way that's more compassion and empathetic driven. So let's talk about your financial therapy practice. Why don't you tell the listeners where they can find your online presence and what you do? Yeah, sure. So um, in Raleigh, North Carolina in the US. So I am a licensed marriage and family therapist providing, specializing in financial therapy, primarily for like, millennial women. And I've also added some, uh, a few slots of couples therapy under financial therapy, just because there's such a need for it. And given my own experience, I know that it's very valuable. So yeah, so my practice is Her Financial Therapy. It's virtual across the state of North Carolina. So it's only for people who are physically in the state. My website is herfinancialtherapy.com. You can find me at Her Financial Therapy on Instagram. And yeah. There you go. We'll include those in the show notes. My last question is, let's imagine that you're at end of life. You're sitting on a front porch, looking out at a view that just brings you a sense of ease and contentment. And you decide to bring out a notebook to write your children's children what you learned about having a happy, healthy relationship with money, what would be one of the themes to that letter? I would encourage them to do their own work around money because 
everyone hasn't. I would encourage them to find something that they feel passionate about that aligns with their values and find a way to make enough money to live and live the life that they want to live, but not to not to do that in a way that sacrifices other parts of themselves or their life. So I don't want them to just like focus on making more and more money at the expense of like their family or other aspects of their life that I would encourage them. I think along the lines of balance, I would encourage them to find some sense of balance when it comes to money. Thank you for that. It sounds like you're linking back to that conversation earlier about how you're parting from yourself, the part of yourself where you're encouraging them to find their self and then bring the money in. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you joining me today, Jillian. Thank you, Sean. Thank you for tuning in this week. If you have been enjoying the podcast, I would love it if you could head over to Apple Podcasts to leave a review. Those reviews definitely do help. Until next week, I hope you have a great one. I'm on a mountain without a top. My wealth is measured and now I spend my time. But now I write a freedom story with every breath inhaled. Money is not the boat of life, it's just the wind.